Good morning, everybody, and happy new year to all of you. It is great to be starting a brand new year right here in God's house with our entire church family. As as Pastor Brandon said, what a great way to start the year, really. You know, our very first day of of a brand new year, starting with our attention focused on God. What I, I can't think of a better way to start our time together. And as we start thinking about New Year, it's one of those things where our our minds start turning towards new disciplines. There's something magical almost about the calendar that because there's a new year that we want to start new things. We've procrastinated, we've we've done some false starts and and stops in the past, but today, January 1st, is a new year. It's a brand new opportunity to begin new things. But I think that when we start thinking of those kinds of things, one of the things that we rarely think about is what we can leave behind. See, our our, our minds start thinking of new things, adding on, about moving forward, but rarely do we think about leaving things behind. We start thinking about some new disciplines maybe to add to our life. We'll start a new fitness regimen. Uh, we may start a brand new diet. We may look at uh, beginning a brand new budget for this year. We may plan for that vacation we've always procrastinated about. We may start a Bible reading plan. We're going to get through the whole Bible in one year this year. We're going to start that. We're going to begin praying every day. Those are all great and wonderful things. And starting new things is always exciting. But in truth, what often we need to understand is that in order for God to start something new in us, he needs us to leave something behind. And that's what I want to talk about today, is the things that we need to leave behind. As, as we look forward in the new year, as I said, we, we start adding new things on, and we forget to think about the weight of the things that we're carrying with us. See, often we may have some things left behind from last year. And when I say wait, I don't necessarily mean the excess in the middle, which I seem to keep growing. I mean the emotional and mental and spiritual weight that we're carrying. And not just from this past year, it could be from any years past, sometimes building up bigger and bigger like a snowball on us. See, the things that we we carry in our hearts and minds they impact us a lot more than we realize. They impact our futures a great deal. There, there was a writer uh, by the name of Tim O'Brien. He was a guy who, who served in Vietnam, and, and he wrote a lot about his experiences in war. And he wrote also about the men that he served with. And writing about himself and them, he said this. He said that they carried emotional baggage. He said that they carried things like grief, terror, Love, longing. They were intangibles, but the intangibles had their own mass and specific gravity. They had tangible weight. See, even though they weren't present out there in the physical world, these things that they carried in their hearts and minds, he realized weighed them down possibly more than the physical experiences that they were dealing with. And this exact same thing was true when the writer of Hebrews wrote those words thousands of years before Tim O'Brien wrote them. 
In, in Hebrews chapter 12, he writes this. He says, therefore, since we have so great a cloud of witnesses surrounding us, let us lay aside every encumbrance and the sin which so easily entangles us. And let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. See, a lot of times when we focus on that verse, I think we end up focusing a lot on the beginning or the very end. We focus on the beginning and we, we say, there's a great cloud of witnesses. Those who have gone before us, those who are at the throne room of heaven proclaiming God's glory, showing us what a faithful life looks like. And we may focus on the end and, and think about pressing on and running the race that God has in store for us. But I want to focus in on that middle section where the writer says that we are to lay aside every encumbrance and the sin which easily entangles us. See, he doesn't say, hey, stop sinning. That's probably generally good advice we should all heed. Stop sinning is a good beginning place. But he goes on because he says, in order to finish this race well, not only do we need to, you know, move out beyond sin, but we need to lay aside the encumbrance in our life. If you ever watch professional runners, there's nothing of excess that is on them. They keep trying to get their clothes of thinner and thinner materials. Their shoes by parts and parts of ounces and grams get lighter and lighter because every little bit of weight slows them down. All the encumbrance, it's not sin, but the encumbrance, the things weighing them down need to be let go of. And that's what the writer's saying. The words that he uses carry around this idea of things that slow us, that hinder us, that could be stumbling blocks, things that get in our way, or a burden that's been placed on us that we shouldn't be carrying in this race. And one of the things I really want to look at, when we, when we look at the different kinds of encumbrances that could be weighing us down, the things that we might be carrying with us, one of those things are idols that are in our lives. And when we think of idols, I don't know about you guys, but when, whenever I think of idols, I always think of statues. I think of, you know, pagan images and temples and things like that and faraway lands. I think of the golden calf in the desert that the Israelites formed. And I think about people literally bowing down before these items and these artifacts. That's the, what, the, what comes to my mind when I think of the word idol. But when we think of things like that, we think of those things as very distant. Idols don't have an impact in our life today. I mean, when was the last time, I don't know, maybe you guys live differently than I do, but I haven't you know, bowed before a golden calf in a while. I don't know about any of you. I don't really see them laying around and having that much of an opportunity to do so. But the thing is, idols are far more common today than we might think. Idols are very real and very present around us. Even though we don't see those physical objects, they're still very real and very present. Not only is it true today, it was true in the past. Because see, the Lord spoke to the prophet Ezekiel. The people of his time, there were idols there. People were worshiping. But he, he, he said there's this group of men that had an idol problem. And it wasn't that they were over there worshiping to that statue. In Ezekiel chapter 14, he says this to Ezekiel, giving him words to repeat to the people. He says, son of man, these men have set up idols 
in their hearts and have put right before their faces the stumbling block of their iniquity. Should I be consulted by them at all? You see right there what the Lord is saying. It wasn't just the physical idols. These were leaders and people that could easily say, you know what, I don't worship anything else but the Lord. I don't, I don't go over there. I don't worship in front of these statues or anything else. But the Lord looked directly into their hearts and he said, go and tell them that I see they've built idols in their hearts. They may not go physically somewhere to worship, but inside of them, they're worshiping something besides me. And what does he say? He said, should I be consulted by them at all? It was something that was a stumbling block. It was hindering them, keeping them distant from God. It was something they had erected in their heart that had taken his place. Now, thinking about that, thinking about an idol, again, can be kind of tricky. What, what does an idol even look like? If it's not a statue, if it's in my heart, what is that thing? Well, let's put it this way. An idol is anything that we trust, that we love, or fear more than God. Said another way, an idol is any desire we have not submitted to God. In, in, in its very essence, an idol becomes something that we worship. Now, for some of you, that, that may sound like some very hard words. I mean, would any of us, in all honesty, go and, and talk to any of our friends and family here and say, you know what? I love, trust, or fear this thing more than God. I'm, I'm, yeah, I'll just let you know. I love these things more than God. I trust in them. I don't really trust God about these things. I trust these things. I doubt very many of us would just confess that, that that would be on our hearts and minds, that truly something's bigger and more important than God. But I think our actions in our lives show that we do. I think in truth there are things that are idols in our lives and the way we live, I think, just demonstrates that. And when we think of worship, I said they, they, they become these things that we worship. We may think, come on, that's, that's a little far-fetched. We don't really worship other things. I would call us all to a challenge on that. Go to any sporting event. I guarantee you, you'll be surrounded by thousands of fellow worshipers. Go to a concert Watch some of the favorite reality programs. We even created a show in this country called American Idol. We have a fascination for worshiping other things. In truth, we were designed and built to worship. It's hardwired inside of us. God made it in there. But the thing is, he made it so that we could worship him. The one place all of our worship belongs, the one person who is truly deserving of it, and so much in this world is trying to steal and take it away from him. So I think idols are very real. And I think they're demanding our worship from us all the time. And, and too often we've allowed them to, to be built up in our hearts. And unlike the, the statues or the carved images and things of the past, the idols of our heart can be very subtle. They can grow and they can sneak in on us when we aren't even looking. And we may not even notice that they're there. You see, I think that idols begin with a perfectly normal desire. We can have desires in our heart. I think the Lord puts them there. There are longings in our heart, things that we want. And as a good father, 
He wants things for us. It, it may be something around your job. Maybe you have a dream of owning your own company someday. Maybe you want a, a certain position with a certain job title that would look great on a business card. Maybe you want a, a, a position that would pay you a certain amount that you could afford a certain kind of lifestyle. Maybe you have a desire for a home in a certain neighborhood or of a certain square footage. Maybe you just desire a home at all. You're tired of living in that apartment that you're in or in your parents' basement. And if you're 40, go ahead and move out away from them. <laughs> Get your own place. It's fine. Maybe you desire to have children. Maybe you desire to have children that achieve a certain thing in their life that maybe you didn't. Maybe you desire to have a, a certain kind of love life or a love life at all. Maybe you desire to have a really exciting event, a vacation, something in your life. Those are all good things. Those are things that are born inside of us. And it's okay that we have those desires. But remember, any desire that we don't submit to God's will has the potential to grow into an idol in our heart. It can take on a new life of its own. See, a lot of times those, those desires, when they're not submitted to God, they grow and they circulate. They gain a new energy of their own. And those desires start becoming demands. It becomes now, instead of an I want, now the language changes to I need. And when those needs come, needs have expectations. And people need to meet my expectations. So those idols can creep into our lives and make no mistake, they're just as dangerous to us today as they were to the Israelites centuries ago. The idols in our lives, they steal from us. They hinder us. They entangle and trap us. They trap our hearts and minds in ways that we never expected them to. And they demand a very high price for us. The idols we carry in our hearts take our time, our focus, our energy, and our resources. So think about that. Think about the desires in your heart. The moment I said that there are desires that we have, as I began to speak, I'm, I'm willing to bet the majority of you had something that came to your mind. There is a desire in your heart right now, something that is taking your time, your thoughts, your energy and I would ask to have you reflect on that as we spend time together this morning. Is this something that is a, is a healthy desire? Or is it taking too much of my time, my focus, my energy, and my resources? To kind of put some idols in context, I, I, I want to show you a photo. This is from our, our recent trip to Israel. This uh, is from the ancient city of Dan in the very north of Israel. And it's an interesting story because this city here, the picture you see is actually of the high place where they worshiped. And inside of those metal bars, that's where they actually set up the idol that they worship there. The funny thing is, this city wasn't here before the time of the judges. You see, a group of men came upon a man who owned an idol. They took it from him. They put it here, and an entire enterprise and a city grew up around this place. And the people were supposed to gather and draw near to God far to the south. But yet, 
this idol in this place took their time, all their focus away from God. And, and it's said in Judges that, that in those days, people did, right what, uh, did what they felt was right in their own eyes. The people followed the desires that surrounded this idol. An entire city formed and built among God's people because of an idol. And it's interesting, when we look through the history of the people of Israel, after the reign of King Solomon, who was the son of King David, one of the the greatest kings that, that we see in the nation of Israel, following his reign, the kingdom was actually divided in two. And it would never be made full and whole again during the the time of the Bible. The history of both of these kingdoms is recorded in the books of 1 and and 2 Kings. And in all, from the time of King Solomon, we see that nearly 40 kings reigned between the two kingdoms. And in the long, sad history, only a handful of those are kings that it said that they did good, that they did right in front of the Lord. And only two does it say actually did all that the Lord wanted and they're remembered as truly great kings. Only two in the long, sad history. And those that didn't do well had something very apparent in common. And those who did well shared something in common as well. And one of those great kings was a man named Hezekiah. And I want to tell you a little of his story. See, Hezekiah, when, when he stepped into reign, at the very beginning of his reign, when he took authority, he made a choice. And it says here in 2 Kings chapter 18, it said that he did right in the sight of the Lord, according to all his father David had done. And, and look at this. It says, he removed the high places. So that place in Dan that we saw, he removed that. And he broke down the sacred pillars. He cut down the Asherah. He broke in pieces the bronze serpent that Moses had made. For until those days, the sons of Israel burned incense to it, and it was called Nehushtan. The interesting thing is, is that the people of Israel, when they were heading into the promised land, the Lord told them what to do. He said, guys, here's the deal. Love you a ton. You guys are heading into this place I've set up for you. There are cities, there are vineyards, there are farms. You don't have to do anything but one thing. He said, when you head in, there's some pretty bad folks in here. And they've got these idols. They've got high places. They've got things that they worship. Just trust me on this. You don't want any part of them. They will be stumbling blocks. And he told them to get rid of them. He said, clear everything out. Make sure there's nothing left. And if you do, you'll prosper in this land. But the people never did it. We see right here in this passage that in Hezekiah's day, he was still trying to take those down. As I said, there's a difference between the great kings and those who weren't. The ones who weren't, sadly, in Scripture, it says that they did evil in the sight of the Lord. And some of them, it even says, he did all the evil that his father before him had done and more. Some of them even would take the high places that had been torn down and they would put them back up. But in Hezekiah's day, the people for hundreds of years had kept the high places. They were stumbling blocks. And if you read through the history of the people in First and Second Kings, 
The interesting thing is they have nothing but trial and tribulation. Their enemies are constantly pressing against them because they didn't leave behind the idols that God had asked them to leave behind. So in Hezekiah's day, before he begins his reign, before he starts anything new, he decides he's going to leave something behind. He realizes the burden on his people. He says, guys, tear it all down. Break everything down. I want nothing left. And as a matter of fact, it was interesting. His pastor and Brandon and I were discussing this. He pointed out to me, and he asked this interesting question. He started talking about the bronze serpent that we saw at the end of the passage. And if we bring that back up again, you'll see that it's there. And the fascinating thing is, this wasn't one of those idols from outside. This was a good thing that God had told the people to do. The people were suffering. He said, make this bronze serpent, have the people look at it, and when they do, then that moment of faith I'll heal them in that moment. It was a good thing from the Lord, but they had taken it into their hearts and they had transformed it into an idol. For hundreds of years, they were worshiping something rather than the God who had provided. And Hezekiah said, I'm not even letting that thing stand. Break it apart. I want it gone. I want every hindrance and stumbling block from our people left behind. So he did. And then we read from that point where where he begins with that leaving behind. As we look at the the rest of his reign, it says this. And this is a very rare thing in 1 and 2 Kings. It says that the Lord was with him and wherever he went, he prospered. How great is that? That when you begin your new things, that the Lord is with you in them? Because you left behind the weight that he didn't want you to carry. You left behind the idols in your heart. None of the kings from Solomon to Hezekiah met with this kind of success because they had allowed idols to remain in their lives. So I think, friends, that we need to leave behind the encumbrances in our lives, especially the idols in our heart. So I I, want to ask us to, to, to take a moment to be honest with ourselves Is there an idol in your heart? I know there is in mine. I I can tell you that one of the the biggest idols that I set up in my mind dealt with fear. Remember, an idol is anything that we fear, trust, or love more than the Lord. You know, as a young person, I always wanted to be on the inside. I was not a cool kid. My high school guys would tell you I am still not a cool kid. Um... I had a great desire to be on the inside. And as an adult, I looked at new beginnings and trying new things. And I put my fear of people and what they would think of me ahead of what God's will was in my life. I was worried more about what they thought. Now again, I would never tell you that I fear anyone more than the Lord. But my day-to-day actions showed that apparently I did. Because I would compromise, my lifestyle choices took radical and horrible directions. My, even, even later on, I could feel that fear compromising me. When the Lord would call me to boldness, to decisiveness to follow him, my fear of what other people might think held me back. But that's just me. Maybe, maybe there isn't an idol in your heart. 
But I ask, is there a desire, that desire that came to your mind earlier? Is that desire something that you might be afraid that if you don't submit it to God, might become an idol for you? I think it's important that these things be revealed to us. Idols are very deceptive, like I said. And I don't know about any of you, but me, I am a world-class justifier and rationalizer. I have a good reason for every single one of the idols and vices in my life. Just ask. I'll share them with you. I can argue my way out of most things. To my wife's distress, I have rationalized and argued my way through so many things in life, and I've just wearied that poor woman down, arguing her into my rightness. Don't even get me started on how wrong I am usually, but that's the direction that I go. It's hard for us to look into our own hearts, to try and dig these things out of us. Our hearts are deceitful beyond all measure. We can't trust ourselves. That's why I love what David wrote in Psalm 139. David said this as he was closing out this beautiful psalm. He says, search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my anxious thoughts. And see if there be any, any hurtful way in me. And lead me in the everlasting way. You see what David's saying right there? He's inviting the Lord to do the work. He knows he can't be trusted. When we look at David's life, there are times in scripture where it says, David thought to himself. David rationalized, consulted his own wisdom, and nothing but wreckage and ruin happens after those moments. But there are other times that it says, and David consulted the Lord. And he met with amazing success victory on every side and I think he above all people he knew what that difference was like whether he was doing it under his own wisdom or under the Lord's and he says here he says Lord I need you to take a look I need you to unearth all these things out of me show me if there's any offensive way into me and he even says my anxious thoughts see those encumbrances aren't just sins what are the anxieties? I mean, think about your life. What, what fills your calendar? What keeps you up late at night? What's taking your time and your money? When you're constantly having to tell people you're not available because you're too busy, what's occupying you? David asked the Lord to search him and show him all of those things so he could leave them behind and then proceed towards the Lord. David knew he couldn't be trusted. So he asked the Lord to do the work. And the great news is this, friends, is that the moment we invite the Lord into that work, he'll reveal those things. The moment his truth, his light, his love encounters those things, they are pulled into the light and we have an amazing opportunity. We have an opportunity to leave them behind, to just cast them down and turn towards him. It's amazing because we see this in Jesus' ministry. One of the, the greatest, most powerful ways that we see this is in his teaching about the prodigal son. Whenever we look at this, I think a lot of times we focus on the very end of the story. We focus on the beautiful and wonderful homecoming. The father in the story who represents our heavenly father embracing the young son and inviting him home. All is forgiven. And it is a beautiful, 
powerful, life-changing story. But for today, I, I want to wind back a little bit and look at the earlier part of the story. Because, see, it says that this young man had desires in his heart. He, he wanted to live a different kind of life. And when we think about it, when we look at the father, we see that the young man had all the provision he ever needed. Everything was taken care of in his life. He had a loving and gracious father. We see that at the end of the story. Forgiving beyond measure. This young man had everything he could want, but yet he had a desire growing in his heart. He, he wanted to experience a different kind of life. In all honesty, I feel like he had a fear of missing out. He feared that he was missing out on excitement in life more than he was concerned with staying under the covering and protection of his father. So this young man does something that's absolutely audacious. I don't think we necessarily capture it in Scripture because it says that he came and he said he demanded his inheritance and his father gave money and he went away. But think about this. In our modern day and age, that would be like any one of us walking up to our parent and saying, I want you to cash in your 401k. I want you to sell the house, the family property, get rid of your car. I want you to get rid of everything you own and give me half of it now. I deserve it now. I want all the things that I get when you're dead. And I want them now. Could you imagine any of us being that audacious? Coming up to somebody and demanding that? But that's where his desires had taken him. The idol in his heart had built to such a great place that he was willing to make that step forward. So he begins to pursue his idols. He goes to a faraway land. He has fast living. He lives a high life. He goes to Vegas, I think, and, and he, he just lives it up on the strip, the best hotel in the penthouse, and gambling and drinking and carousing every night. But his idols end up taking him to a very dark place. And all idols, friends, remember, demand a big sacrifice. And so now let's catch back up with this young man after his idols have taken that sacrifice from him. It says this, it says, so he went and hired himself out to one of the citizens of that country. He got a bouncer at Vegas at one of the nightclubs. And he sent him into his fields to feed swine. And he would have gladly filled his stomach with the pods that the swines were eating and no one was giving him anything. But when he came to his senses, he said, how many of my father's hired men have more than enough bread, but I am dying here with hunger. I will get up and go to my father, and I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and in your sight. Did you catch what happens here? He's at this place where he's followed his desires. He's followed the idols in his heart to their ultimate destination, to his near ruin. And he realizes in this moment, the truth hits him. See, I think when he took that job, he's still trying to live out his idols. If I can just, you know, get back up ahead, get a little money, I can take it to the craps table, I'll get back up ahead in the game. I can still meet my desires. But in that moment of truth, he realizes the state he's in. And at that point, he says, you know what, I could always go back to my father. He leaves behind his desires. He leaves behind everything and turns back towards home. And then we see that beautiful homecoming that he receives. But he couldn't have gotten there if he hadn't left behind everything else first. Sadly, friends, I think too often 
we don't encounter and realize the idols in our heart until we reach this point, until we crash straight into the wall, until we hit that absolute bottom. Sadly, I think that's too often the case. But we can still leave things behind before we reach such a sad state. There are opportunities. All we have to do is hear the truth from God. It's interesting because we see that truth played out in in actual life, in Jesus' ministry. He encounters a man named Matthew. Also in Scripture, it calls him Levi. And, And Matthew was a tax collector. Now, that doesn't sound too bad to us. I mean, it sounds like, you know, you're an agent of the IRS. You go and you collect taxes from people. That's not such a horrible thing. If you have tax burdens, ease up. Don't just saying it's not that. It's, it's a respectable, normal job. But for his day and age, it might be more fair to call him an extortionist. He's like a mob enforcer that collects protection money from people. You have to remember, here's a young Jewish man who is sold out to work for the Roman occupiers. He has betrayed his people turned his back on them, and he actually not only collects taxes, a heavy tax burden that the Romans say is due, he actually takes more, and that's how he earns his living. To the Romans, they think he's weak. You're a collaborator. There's no respect for people like you. Here's a man who had a desire to live a good life. He wanted money. He wanted earthly comforts and pleasures. He was living in an occupied nation. And rather than stay strong and true, he decided to compromise to see these desires in his heart shift him into a direction. A man who had no people anymore, a man without a country, if you will. The only people he could keep company with were people just like him, who were outcast from both the Romans and the Jews. He had no eternal hope either. He couldn't participate in the synagogue. Everybody knew who he was. They didn't want him around. Here was a man with no hope whatsoever. He had allowed the idol in his heart to take full sway. And it had led him to this place. But everything changed one day for him. The great news is, is again, that when God's truth speaks into our life, there's an opportunity to leave those things behind. And in Luke 5, we see what happens to Matthew. It says this, it says that after that, he, meaning Jesus, went out and noticed a tax collector named Levi, Matthew, sitting in the tax booth. And he said to him, follow me. And I want you to look carefully at what it says next. It says, and he left everything behind and got up and began to follow him. Now, we don't know everything that exchanged between Matthew and Jesus in that exact moment. But I have this distinct feeling that the living word of God was physically in front of him and that when he encountered Jesus, Matthew understood the idols inside of his heart. He understood where his desires had led him in life. He understood every sacrifice that they had taken from him. And at that point, here was that moment of opportunity when Jesus himself looked at him and said, follow me. But before he could begin something new, he had to leave something behind. And the amazing thing is Matthew left everything behind. 
his house, his livelihood, his finances, the provision that he had gained for himself. He left all those things behind and followed Jesus. We're thankful that he did. We have one of our great gospels from him. He spread the word and the good news of Christ wherever he went. And glorious and wonderful things came from that ministry. But he had to leave things behind. Now I can't tell you how often I've erected idols in my heart and mind. That I've, I've put my desires in such a place. That I elevated them above God. Things that I felt like I was suddenly entitled to. That I would press forward to. Maybe, maybe there are things like we're trusting in our job for our, our own provision. Maybe it, it, we're expecting things out of our family members. But in, in those entitlements, we put pressures on, on our friends, our family members, our coworkers, our husbands and wives, our children, carry those burdens and expectations. And no one should carry those, not us or them. It's time that we leave them behind. And here's what I know about each of us, honestly. If there's a desire inside of us that we haven't submitted to the Lord's will, I can guarantee you that it can become an idol in your life. And I guarantee you, if it does, it's weighing you down. That it's pushing your very spirit down. There's a burden on your soul because it can't meet the weight of the needs. Idols demand huge sacrifices. And honestly, we're not strong enough to feed that never-ending need that they have. But I want, I want you to imagine the year ahead. Imagine if we could start this year, the year 2017, not by beginning new things necessarily, but by leaving behind something that we don't need to carry anymore. Leaving behind the sin and the weight that encumbers us. There is a great story. There's a book a, a friend and mentor recommended to me. He gave it to me. It's called The Cure. And he said, it deals with uh, your emotions and being okay in God's presence. He said, and you'll hate it. Um, he loves doing things like that to me. And he gave me this book and it was so powerful. Because in it is a parable about a man who's been trying real hard, adding new things to his life, trying to get ahead. And what he realizes is that he just needs to accept who he is and trust in God. He's got to leave those things behind. And there's a moment when, when he is imagining what this moment is going to have to be like. That he's going to meet this conviction from God and there's going to be this sea of trash and wreckage in front of him, this huge gulf of it. And he imagines that on the other side of this gulf is Jesus standing there and shaking his head at him, thinking, what a mess you've made of this. But that's what he imagined because he had kept trying new things and trying hard. When he finally made it to that moment in the story, he walks in and he sees this huge gulf of trash and wreckage. He sees every sin. He sees all the weight, the anxiety, the encumbrances, the idols of his heart. He sees it all piled in front of him. But he looks across and there's no one there. And just when he starts to wonder, well, this isn't quite what I expected, he feels an arm on him 
And the Lord is with him in that moment. And he tells him, this is a pretty big mess. Let's leave it behind. And the two of them walk away and leave it all behind, all the wreckage. And that's the thing, is in this moment, those desires, those idols in our, our, our hearts, while the Lord's revealing those, there's no condemnation or shame. The Lord isn't calling us into that. If, if there's any part of you that senses or feels that, that is not the Lord speaking. That is the enemy trying to hold you back. The Lord only wants to shine the light on him and let you put him down and leave him behind. So don't let condemnation or shame enter your heart or mind, but instead see this as an opportunity to leave behind the things that God doesn't want you to carry anymore. And never forget that what is true about you today doesn't have to be true about you tomorrow. That all those weights, those things that you've built up in your heart and mind, you can set them aside today because God's forgiveness and love for you is far bigger than the idols in our lives. You know, when we look at the life and ministry of Jesus, we often see him forgiving the people that he encounters. He interacts with them and he forgives them completely for everything. Look at Matthew. He doesn't bring condemnation or shame. He just says, follow me. There's that moment that all he's asking is, leave this behind and follow me. So friends, if you've been burdened with sin and encumbrances and things that have held you down, then the Lord has good news for you today. You're forgiven. He loves you much. All he wants is for you to lay it down and follow him. Would you close your eyes with me? Friends, as, as we've been talking today, I know there, I hope that there's been maybe something that the Lord's touched in your heart. I know, um, you know, I've been preparing this message, but even today on my way in, the Lord spoke something to me. He showed me something that I need to let go of. See, I, I, as a student, I was a kid that, you know, I would study hard and I would try my best to do well, but I would always cram to the very last moment. I would sit down at my desk before the class in the last moments, go over every last note, and I've carried that habit with me into my entire adult life. There's always one more thing I can get. I can be more perfect. And today on my way in, my habit would be I'm going to keep reading through my message notes a couple more times to make sure I get it. And the Lord showed me in my heart, you need to trust me with this. It's not your perfection and your efforts that are going to get this job done. So he asked me to leave that behind. So friends, I, I just want everybody to close their eyes, if you would. Some of you may not be comfortable with that. You don't know what's going on, but just I ask you to close your eyes. And if there's anything that the Lord's been speaking to you, if, if he's revealed something that you've allowed to take too much sway in your life, something that he's asked you or revealed to you, something that's sprung to your mind that you need to lay down. I just ask you, it's just you and me right now because I want to pray with you. Raise your hand if that's you. Is there anything in your life? Praise God. Thank you. 
Lord, you see the, you see the hands here. You see what's on the hearts and minds present here. I thank you for the boldness and the faithfulness of those who have stepped forward and said, yes, Lord, I want to release this to you. Father, I, I pray your blessing over them, your anointing, your courage, your boldness on them to set whatever these things are right here at your feet today, to never pick them up again. Give us renewed strength and focus to keep our eyes on you and not of these things that have weighed us down. And Lord, I pray for every one of us gathered here today that you would continue your work just as David prayed and sang to you, search us, O God. Continue to reveal to us any hindrance that's slowing us down. Lord, I just lift this time up to you and give thanks for your grace. And it's in your name we pray. Amen.